Well, hi there, and welcome to another episode of Endeavors. There have always been geniuses throughout history. And it seems like right now, within the last five or ten years, we are seeing stories of people that have been called geniuses told more uh, on film. Eddie Redmayne, of course, won an Oscar for playing Stephen Hawking. We had Benedict Cumberbatch play Alan Turing. We've had the TV series Genius, which first did Einstein and then did Picasso, and now is doing Aretha. We've had biopics of Neil Armstrong... Hidden Figures is another one that comes to mind. Going back further, you have A Beautiful Mind, where Russell Crowe played Dr. John Nash. Going back even further, Once Upon a Time, Charlton Heston played Michelangelo. And of course, there have been numerous interpretations of Shakespeare whether it's Upstart Crow, whether it was sort of the punk rock Will. But one figure that has one man, one genius you could say, that has never, in a way, really been given his proper due in cinema, is Leonardo da Vinci. There have been portrayals of da Vinci on camera. The earliest was a silent film simply called Leonardo da Vinci. There was an Italian film, The Life of Leonardo da Vinci, starring Philip Leroy. Roberta Benigni's film, Nothing left to do but cry. The Drew Barrymore film, Ever After, uh, had a portrayal of Leonardo da Vinci, and Mr. Peabody and Sherman had a fictional portrayal of da Vinci, as well as Leo da Vinci, Mi Mission Mona Lisa, which focuses on a teenage da Vinci. Of course, there are the Dan Brown novels, and he's been in referenced in numerous TV shows such as Star Trek, My Favorite Martian, Bewitched, and even Doctor Who. And then, of course, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. But there's 
a new show out in the UK that looks at Leonardo's early life and examines him in a way that has never been done before. It is simply called Leonardo, and it's created by Frank Spotnitz and Steve Thompson, and executive produced by Freddie Highmore, who also appears in the series as a police detective. It stars Poldark's Eden Turner as the man himself, Leonardo. It was released in the U.S. on March 23rd. And I had a chance to speak with creators Frank Spotnitz and Steve Thompson. It's a short conversation. It's only about 10 minutes. But here is my conversation with Leonardo creators Frank and Steve. Frank, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. How are, how is it over? Uh, well, I guess uh, Steve, you're in uh, UK. Yeah, I'm in Cambridge in England. Yeah. Nice, nice. How Great. is it over there? Yeah, it's all right actually. Yeah, it's quite sunny today. Nice. Uh, so you two have a have a new series out called uh, Leonardo about That's right. uh, about uh, Leonardo da Vinci, and it's interesting. I feel like we're quote-unquote geniuses are, are having a bit of a moment you know we, we've seen shows about Picasso Einstein there's a lot of uh biopics coming out of course Hidden Figures Alan Turing Stephen uh Hawking why do you think that's happening at, at this specific time in our history Ooh. well actually I think, um, believe it or not, I think it's still a hard sell. I mean, there is that series, you're right, Genius, which was Picasso and Einstein, and now I think Aretha Franklin. Um, but it's, it's a hard sell doing historical drama, believe it or not. And I've done a few of these now, and every time it's like swimming upstream to get it done. And in this case, I think the reason it happened was because it was the 500th anniversary of Leonardo's death. But for some reason, there is a prejudice against historical dramas and all the broadcasters say, no, 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 we don't want period stuff. And then when you do them, they tend to be really successful. It turns out people actually are interested in the past, but, um, but every one of these things, I, I think they're, they're the exception to the rule in my experience. I, I think one of the tricky things about it is genius is a very, very lonely place to be. And we think of geniuses as being stuck inside their own heads and somehow unable to communicate with the rest of the world. And I think the trick for writers is finding a route through to them, finding a bridge. And, and often that's another character. Often there is another character in the drama who kind of represents us and who is leading us to this genius and showing this genius to us. Um, that kind of everyman character is really important. You, you two were, were sort of quite openly acknowledged the fact that you that you took a lot of um, historical liberties with 
with with the Leonardo the show, you know, just just in terms of like like the murder mystery, for example. Why did you make it more historical drama rather than straight biopic? What what was the appeal of going that route? Well, I mean, the first thing to say, you're right. The first thing to say about it, though, is it is a biopic because a, a great deal of it is historically accurate. But then if you read the biographies, and we read many, they're all incomplete. They're all speculative. Every so often, you'll be reading a chapter of one of his biographies, and the biographer will say, we simply don't know what happened here. Fill in the blanks. And it was rather like an invitation was being offered to us. We wanted to write a biography of this guy, but the facts do not exist. So th there's a very exciting moment for a dramatist where history is offering you a mystery and saying, we actually don't know the answer to this question, but if you want to try and present a complete picture, you're going to have to resort, or you're gonna to have to reach for fiction. Um, and that's why you've got a mixture of the two because the history is incomplete. Yeah. There's, there's a myth that you that if you chose to, you could just do a accurate story about Leonardo. You couldn't possibly because there's just too many gaps in the record. And so you have to rely on your imagination to fill those gaps. So all of our um, filling in the gaps are based on, you know, on, on solid research and history uh, to try and get at a truth that you couldn't get if you just relied on on what the historians know. Uh, talk about the cast because it's quite a great cast. You've got uh, Aidan Turner, you've got James, you've got Freddie Highmore, who I know also doubles as uh, executive producer. How how involved were the were the two of you in in, in casting this? Oh well, you know, very involved. We were there from the beginning with Dan Percival and with the casting director. Um, there's a you know there's an incredibly exciting moment where they sit you down right at the beginning of the process. You've just written the script and somebody says, "Go on, then dream casting." Uh, and say Aidan Turner, never believing in a million years that it's going to be Aidan Turner. And then two years down the line, you go, wow, it, you know, we actually got the guy. Um, so, you know, you know, we were incredibly involved. Of course, um, Leonid is a very difficult character in a lot of ways. You're inviting somebody to play the part of a genius. And that can be incredibly daunting. But I thought Aidan was very special in what he did. You know, there's, there's always, this, this comes up from every now and then, especially in, in historical dramas about, um, you know, the, the fact that they're, that they're British actors and a lot of them are still using their, their, their real accents. They're, they're not necessarily using um, the, the, the Italian accents. Was that something that, that was ever discussed in, in terms of the, uh, the, the art, artistry of that? Well, it's funny, this is my, my second Italian historical drama because I did a series about the Medici for three seasons. And when I started that, I, I was like, okay, everybody's gonna have the same accent. Everybody's gonna do a light Italian accent. And, and that approach lasted exactly one day because it was like, it was ridiculous. Everybody sounded terrible. They couldn't possibly pull it off. And so what, what you realize this is a practical matter is it's not possible. And this is being shot in the English language. And so you just try and create some kind of a logic for the English accents that are there. So actually Aidan Turner is, is Irish. Um, if he were to do it in his natural accent, Leonardo would have an Irish accent, but he chose a British RP accent because it, it just seemed to fit better with the blend of actors we had. Whereas Matilda DeAngelis who plays Katerina is actually Italian. So, you know, it's just, uh, you have to suspend your disbelief. You know, some characters have very heavy Italian accents and others are British. 
uh, and it, it just mixes. But what you try not to do is have like two brothers have different accents because that wouldn't make a lot of sense. They were raised in the same house and yet they don't have the same accent. But otherwise, if they're from different towns or different generations, you just accept that um, you know they, they don't have the same accent. You, uh, one of the things that you, you talk about was that, you know, Leonardo was someone that we know a lot about, and yet we know very little. One of my favorite lines in, in episode one is when he talks about, I like her because she's an enigma to the sky, talking about, about Catherine. Uh, so out of, out of all the stuff that we do know about Leonardo, how do you sift through all that and decide, okay, I want to include this in this story, and I want to include this in this story? Well, that's a really good question because... Uh... I've said this many times, but at the beginning of the process, we just had too much information. You could have made a drama about Leonardo the inventor and forgotten about the art, and it would have been a very full series. Or you could have made it about the artist or the scientist or the astronomer. Um, there were so many different fields. We, we just had this, this vast quantity of information to sift. Um, but there were two things we were really grabbed by. One were there were some pieces of art where he had such an enormous struggle to create them. That, that story about the piece of art we really wanted to tell, which is why each one of the eight episodes has one piece of art at its center. And then the other story we, we were very keen to tell was about the close relationships around him because he was very isolated as a young man, but gradually during his life, he started to form very close relationships with different people. And he had a sort of slightly dysfunctional family around him. And as we watch him acquire those people and acquire those relationships, that's that's another story we were very keen to tell, I think. Uh, finally, do either of you have a favorite memory of, of shooting season one? Um, my memories are all about the art, actually. Uh, i tell you what it is. Leonardo da Vinci, he... he um, you know, he created one incredibly famous painting, The Baptism of Christ. We had to create five of them. Because you have to create one at each stage of its creation, one which is just slightly unfinished or one which has only just begun. And I, for me, it was gasp-making, walking into the studio for the first time and seeing not one Baptism of Christ, but five of them lined, lined up at the wall at different stages of creation. And that happened again and again and again, all of the statues, all of the paintings, all of the artwork. Just again and again, the, the stuff that they produced made me gasp. I, I think for me, my favorite memory is related to the baptism of Christ as well, because I walked on set, and this is obviously the first episode, and there were the, the actors playing Jesus and the angels, costumed like the people in the painting and looking very much like the people in the painting. And it's just like, wow, like we brought this 500 year old painting literally to life. And it was quite a thrill. And also uh, in that scene, we have the great Italian actor Giancarlo Giannini, who, you know, many younger people know for the James Bond films. But for me, I grew up watching in Italian cinema and Lena Wertmuller films. And, and to have him in our show and, and on set that day, it was just, uh, it was really like unforgettable. Mm. Well, uh, the series is. Leonardo, uh, and I believe it is out now on uh, on Sony uh, in in the United States. Uh, Frank, Steve, thanks so much for your time this, this morning. Thank you. Thank you. All right, have a good day.
from one time period to another. I uh, I mentioned Shakespeare earlier, and the film Stand is sort of uh, inspired by or and adapted from Romeo and Juliet, except what makes this film different is that it is set during the 1919 Winnipeg general strike uh, that became one of the most influential labor strikes in Canadian history. 30,000 workers brought economic activity to a standstill, and at the time, Winnipeg was Canada's third largest city. The film uh, is based off a 2005 stage play, Strike, by... Danny Schur, who co-wrote the screenplay with Rick Chave. And it was shot in Winnipeg, and many of the cast in the film are locals, including Marsha Williams, who many may remember starred on Glee as Spencer Porter. It also features the great Greg Henry, and Laura Slade Wiggins, who is perhaps best known for her role in Shameless as Karen Jackson. I got to speak with Lauren about what it was like telling this immigrant Romeo and Juliet style story, singing shooting in Winnipeg, and whether or not she was able to survive the cold. This is my conversation with Laura Slade Wiggins. But, uh, Laura, yeah, well, welcome to the show. Uh, how are things down in uh, L.A. at the moment? Um, well, I'm actually in Georgia, and it's, um, it's nice here. We have a gas shortage, so, um, <laughs> so like, everybody went out to the pumps yesterday and, like, hoarded the gas. It was, like, toilet paper 2.0 with the gasoline. So everyone is uh, either – some people have – probably so much gasoline that they don't know what to do with it or you're like me and you have one full tank and that's it <laughs> you uh you mentioned just, you mentioned just before i started i i know you 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 have a, a new small young child how how has that been in terms of uh, a balancing act not only in the pandemic but also in 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 your work and trying to you know go out for jobs but also also, also promoting this does does is there is there a new sense of of balance when it comes to something like that? There is, and just the, the the fact that there's, like, no predictability. Like, she literally was crying, like, right before you answered the phone, and I was rocking her, and she seems to be sleeping. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> so, like, you know, who knows what control we have in this life. We just, 
you just go with the flow, and so far, so good. <laughs> well, you're a uh... good baby, so that's good. <laughs> You're you're on a new uh, musical film called uh, Stand, which is sort of um, uh, like a a labor revolution style, immigrant style uh, Romeo and Juliet. Um, how how did this particular project uh, fall into your lap? Um, well, I uh, just ended up meeting Romeo and call from my manager and I mean this was back in 2018 actually when we filmed the movie um and uh I guess the the director had seen Shameless and his daughter had seen Shameless and uh possibly Danny's uh the producer Danny Schur's um daughter had seen it so they saw me in Shameless and they thought I'd be good for the role of Rebecca and when I read it I thought it was a really cool project I mean I hadn't really seen anything quite like it or read anything quite like it it's very I mean it's not it's like I think it's pretty spot on like Hamilton meets like the uh the fiddle on the roof just because like it's very melodic like fiddler but it's you know the there's no big dance routines or anything like that in the movie you you said you you shot it in in 2018 does that seem like forever ago for you kind of does I mean it's only three years and it's not at all weird for a film to I mean it, it premiered in Canada obviously in 2019 I think yeah because we did the Juneteenth and then 2020 that was just the feels like the lost years <laughs> and I say years because I think there was more than one year in 2020 <laughs> but um it does this just life is so different now isn't it yeah uh, and the the film is set during uh, the Winnipeg General Strike, which was uh, a pretty big deal uh, in in Canada. Um, w- was that something you were familiar with? What what kind of research did did you do into that specific uh, period in history? I didn't know about it. I had uh, known about like the Newsy strike, I guess. Um, which I think happened just after the Winnipeg strike. Um, it could have happened before, and I don't. I don't remember at this point. I knew in 2018, but that was a different time. But um, <laughs> uh, we, I mean, being in Winnipeg where it happened, I was able to get a lot of information. And then uh, Danny, sure, the producer, he's been with this musical a long time, so he had so much information on it. Um, so he was able to share a lot of his research on it with us. And I mean, I was floored by the the impact it made and, um, you know, the relevance that it still had like a hundred years later. Was, was there a bit of, I mean, as, as a, as an actor, as a performer, shooting a, a film or any project that's in the same city as the project as the story takes place did did that add a an extra bit of something for you oh it definitely did because you just feel like you can kind of hear the past like wanting to be heard and it's cool that um to you know winnipeg has a lot of the same buildings that it even had a hundred years ago there hasn't been a whole lot to to like um to topple that history so um, we were staying at this 
hotel and it was like right on the park where one of the protests happened. Um, you know, the, it was, uh, it definitely, it definitely, uh, put some, you know, lit a fire under my ass, I guess, for lack of a better term to like get it right and to really be sensitive to the people that went through this. And in some ways, some of the like children of the, well, in a lot of ways, the, the children of these people are still alive and they still remember what happened those days, you know? Uh, I know you, you, you shot it in Winnipeg. I hope you were there at, at least in the summer or early fall when it was still bearable outside temperature wise. <laughs> we were there at the very, like, I think it was September and it was wonderful. We still had some hot days. It never got too cold. And then like the last couple of days, uh, as we started going more into the winter, it turned into winter peg as they call it. Yes. And um, I have like, a, I have friends that live there and they, they weren't able to leave last year, but they even have like different places they go in the winter. It's so cold. I, uh, I know you're, you're also a musician in your own right. For you, how would you compare singing live on a stage to uh, making a movie musical? Well, with the stage, I'll say we are so well practiced and you also, any mistakes that you have to make, either because you're sick or because you accidentally made a mistake, you know, that just kind of lives on stage with you and you deal with it. But with this, you get to, with the movie musical, we got to really play with the performance um in the in the studio and get exactly what we wanted and um i mean i'm sure you know everybody's like we could have done a hundred more takes and but for the most part we were able to get you know exactly what we wanted and that was really cool so that was a big difference just being able to kind of fine-tune exactly what you want versus on stage you can try to hit that but you might stray or deviate a little bit did you um did you do live singing when you were filming or, or were you, were you doing along to uh playback? How, how did you decide on that? We did, we did it to playback. I mean, I still like really sang the song, um, but the recording is what you're hearing. That definitely just helps with the sound quality and everything. If we do it that way versus if it were, you know, a live live singing on a live stage. But, um, you know, if they ever, ever want to go back and do the musical live, you know, it would be fun to do it live, too. <laughs> uh, I believe the I believe the, the lead characters in this are uh, Polish immigrants or, you know, uh, uh, Eastern European. Um, how how did yeah. you how did you work on on that accent in the film? I had I started out with a just generic, you know, actor tape that was, you know, just the basics of Russian, and then because uh, that's all they had, they didn't have, you know, the the Ukrainian and the Polish and how that's much different, you know. So then, after I listened to that a little bit, I was also once again Danny Sure, our just historian producer. Writer, 
spider aficionado, you know, his grandparents, uh, his grandparents that had this accent, that um, this was all part of their history. So he was very good at um, at differentiating what they needed to be. And it was very helpful. I mean, he went so far as to make kind of an accent tape that he got to us within a few weeks before we even shot the film. Um, and after that, it was just kind of continue, just practicing a lot. And anytime I was practicing it, I'd also kind of run it by him to see how it sounded to him. And because um, I just knew that he wasn't going to be happy with it unless it was it was correct, you know, and it was it was pretty accurate. So, and it was interesting how many people in Winnipeg actually also still have these Polish accents and um, from that region, you know. So, I'm trying to think. There's one actor in the film uh, that actually was uh, from Poland that uh, he had an actual a real accent. <laughs> I uh, I read that uh, you know I think other than maybe the 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 five leads or the four leads that a lot of the the cast were were local Winnipeggers. We had quite a few, and they were phenomenal. Um, very very realistic. Some people had been in the play. Um, Boris is the guy who was the act was an actor in there that plays a. Um, well, for all our purposes, he's a. I think Boris plays a, one of the one of the workers in the factory, and he actually was like Polish, and I think some of his family's from the Ukraine too. It was, um, so he he helped me with my accent. I remember that day, but uh, and then there's like Tristan and uh, the Daniel. They're just they they came from there from Winnipeg. They were phenomenal. Couldn't say a bad thing about any of them. And I know I did. I read that. Oh yeah, yeah. and Marshall, the lead of the film, Marshall from Winnipeg too. Probably shouldn't forget him. Did did he did he give, <laughs> did he give you any um any any pointers about uh, the the city and just you know how to uh, how to sur- how to survive a Winnipeg winter? Well, I didn't have to do it, so that was good. I mean, I saw people in their hot tubs. One person had a pool that pretty much heats up the same as a hot tub. Um, everybody just told me I needed to get out. But as far as getting around the city, when I was there, you know, I could get around the main part of the, like, downtown part of the city on bike. But eventually I broke down and bought a car, or bought a car, and rented a car. Because that just ended up, then I could go some of the parks and because there's a lot of really pretty nature around i don't know about in the winter in the winter it's probably it's all snow people send me pictures of the snow the snow is crazy out there yeah it, i've never seen such snow <laughs> it gets to about 30 below and you have several several feet of snow uh we wow. we mentioned uh marshall williams who who is the is your co-star and obviously here in canada yes. we we know him from glee uh another uh person that is is a great uh musical actor that was in the film is greg henry uh what what was it like working opposite him he is just, he's always very present and um He's very good at what he does. Uh, it's clear that he's been a veteran of this for, for several years, um, for several years, for 
Well, let's say several years because I don't want him to be like, you made me sound old. But, I mean, he's been doing it for years and years and years. He, he's been in so many things, actually, that I didn't even realize it was him in some of the stuff that he's in because um, he's such a chameleon, and, and some of it, you know, he's changed his look. But for uh, for the film, he was very um, – I mean, some of it was just heartbreaking, you know, watching him portray this father that has to be the bad guy and has to make hard decisions to protect his family. Uh it it really brought a lot to my character as sort of the person, uh, sort of a character that's working to to stop him, to, to make it where he can't protect his son and his family, and she doesn't really understand why what she's doing is so reckless. She just wants to be free, and she wants to be, she wants life to be fair, so she, um, so she uh, goes against his character. And it just, um, I just felt like he helped round out the the stakes of what was going on at that time. Uh, I know the the, the film premiered uh, at the Toronto International Film Festival in twenty nineteen, although not as a in fe- not as a in festival competition film. But what what's it like going to uh, a big a big festival like that for the world premiere of something that you worked on? It was beautiful, and it the support was just—it was such a, a big support from the community and the film community also at large. It was um, uh, the the—I'm trying to remember what I mean. It was like this giant theater that we ended up doing it at, and I mean it was—it—it just—it—it uh, it legitimized, I guess, in a lot of ways, all the the vision that that Danny's had for this film for so many years and and it obviously made us feel really special to to see that, you know. So uh, I know one reviewer had pointed out the the parallels between the world of 1919 when the film takes place uh and now, you know, I guess because we're we're seeing a lot of conversations about wage and and, and labor and all that. Wait, was that something you were cognizant of when, when making it? Did did you see a lot of uh, similarities at all between then and now? It hadn't, you know, one of the most recent things that comes to mind now is that Amazon just had a um, just had something come up where they were considering uh, unionizing the workers there. But for a long time, it when we were making it, it seemed more to be about immigration about immigration and um, and paying immigrants fair wages because in the states we were dealing with uh, Trump and how we were going to deal with people coming in from South America and, um, and other countries where the pay was probably not enough for the labor they were doing. Um, and on top of that, we were trying – we were going to um, incriminate people that were coming over the board that like migrant workers that had been doing this for years and years. And largely America had profited off of it, in my opinion. Um, But then it kind of changed just the, the way that we treat workers and the way we feel about low income workers in general. Um, and so I'm glad that it's here because you can't really make people disposable. They're never going – because there's no such thing as a disposable person. Like maybe you feel the job is disposable, but but is it, you know? 
if you if you have to have this many people working that job, then clearly we need it. It's necessary, and the people that work behind it need to have a living wage and have a life. Uh, I I know you you also have a, a have a couple other um, films that are coming out. I'm really intrigued about one called uh, Asphalt Jungle. Can you tell us anything about that? Well, that one I am not sure what's going to be going down with that. Um, that was something that was supposed to go down a few years ago, and the pandemic has halted it. So. If it will ever get off its feet or not, it was supposed to be like a horror movie, and then it it just has never. We never worked on it. Were, were there's something? <laughs> were you excited about the possibility of working with um, Bruce Dern? I was very excited about that, and I actually had met him earlier that year. But at the end of the day, it ended up. Um, where something, I don't know, I keep saying something like, like it just went away. I'm like, but then I think with the pandemic, just all, a lot of funding fell through for stuff. It was, it was a, it was a bad year. I think everyone knew about that one though. <laughs> uh, and the other one I wanted to ask you about, cause I just, I love the name of it is uh, the trap door at the edge of the universe. Now that one, you can see that one is, out on that one didn't get to do any like theatrical release but it's very low budget film anyways but it was one that me and my friends uh Noah Warner and um Aaron Perillo they wrote it and it's it's for like people that um like you know like Bill and Ted or you know like really goofy movies it's very um it's kind of trippy you know it's good for places with legalized marijuana. <laughs> but it's just about like this, um, it's just about some characters that realize that they're in a fictitious reality and they become concerned that the writers aren't doing a very good job with their reality. So they escape their reality um, and then they realize that it's really complicated to travel in between these dimensions. <laughs> and so that was our low budget comedy, and it it's low budget, but it's really I think it makes it better <laughs> in some ways. Do you uh, do you want to do more comedy in the future? Or is, is is that something you aspire to do? I mean, I'm kind of just like down for whatever because I find that no matter what, that I haven't done a lot of comedy, and so that makes me want to do more of it. Um, I do love the ridiculousness of comedy and you're never really dealing with, um, you know, in comedy, people aren't like really, really sad and shameless. It was a comedy, but it's definitely a dramedy. So, you know, that was, everything was taken so very seriously, but in Trapdoor, we were able to just be very, um, I don't know, very loose with everything and not be so, um, yeah, you know, it's just it's just nice to be really silly. Uh, fa- favorite memory from um, well, actually two favorite memories. One, I wanted to ask if you have a, a favorite memory from your time on Shameless. <laughs> I just anytime we went to Chicago and we'd go over to Joan Cusack's house, she would always have some food for us, 
and um, and she was a pretty good cook. And just we, I don't know, we felt like a family in those first three seasons, you know. Um, obviously, I had to come to an end eventually, but going over to her house and then um, just any of the time, like sometimes we'd go and play like liars dice over at Any Rossum's house. And it would just be all of us as a cast and, you know, playing games and getting to know each other. That was always my favorite stuff. Uh, and do you have a favorite moment from the filming of Stand? Oh, goodness. Uh, I mean, there were, it was more probably just the experience as a whole because everybody was so hands-on. Nobody... Nobody was above their job or nobody was above trying to, like, if somebody was struggling to hurry up and try to help them finish their task, you know. Um, so that community was really amazing in Winnipeg. And we got to go and film at the government building there, too, um, at their town hall. And that was, or city hall, and that was a beautiful building. And just, it was the very last day of filming, so we were very tired. And everybody was a little bit giddy. We'd worked very hard at that point for the past month. Um, and it just, just seeing the big crane shots and, and how beautiful everything was, that was a really rewarding day. Well, the film is Stand, and uh, I believe it is, well, you, we can see it here in Canada, but uh, where, can, where can people uh, go, go to see it? Well, I think now in the U.S. it is on most streaming platforms. I know Apple has it. So, um, and I believe Amazon's got it now too. So we, um, so check it out on on video on demand. And I think that in Canada it just opened up on another VOD platform. Uh, probably check out the stand the movie musical website as things are opening up for it, because there's definitely a lot of, uh, I feel like it's, it's, it's coming on a lot of platforms now, so. <laughs> well, the, the movie is Stan, and uh, I encourage uh, everybody to check it out. I think it's a, it's a really uh, great story. Laura Slade-Wiggins, thanks so much for your time this morning. Thank you so much. Have a good day now. All right, you too. Bye-bye. Bye. And that was my conversation with actress and singer Laura Slade-Wiggins. She co-stars in the new Canadian film Stand, inspired by the 1919 Winnipeg General Strike. That is out now. That does it for me today. My thanks to Frank Spotnitz, Steve Thompson, and of course, Laura Slade-Wiggins. If you like what you hear, please subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google, Deezer, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow me on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, although I'm rarely on either these days, at Endeavors Radio. My guests on Friday will be filmmaker Lynn Roth, as well as director Andrew Thomas Hunt. Thanks for tuning in. I'll see you next time. Ciao.
for now.